Well, morning, everyone. Let's pray together. Uh, Some slightly adapted words from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, as a church this morning, we kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And we pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power in our spirit, in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray, Father, that being rooted and established in your love, we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm wondering if you could turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 8. If you have a church blue Bible, it's page 1135. I wonder if you could cast your eyes down to verse 22. You and I live in a world, don't we, that is groaning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. Ever since man and woman disobeyed God in the garden, and there was this fractured relationship with, firstly, with God, that that led to a fractured relationship with each other, a fractured relationship with our whole world. And ever since that moment, and we see this all the way through the flow of the Bible, our world has been groaning, hasn't it? like in the pains of childbirth. Childbirth, not pleasant. And we live in a world that groans. Our world is messy. Our world is broken. And as our world hurts, it's painful to live in our world, isn't it, often? And today is a day particularly where each of us in different ways will experience that. The world groans. And then do you notice in the next verse, in verse 23, not only does the world groan, but we groan as we live in this world. Do you see that there, verse 23? Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The world out there is groaning and the world in here is groaning. There's a heaviness to life often. And particularly when we face real trouble days like today, when we face death and it stares us in the face, it leaves us with a sense of confusion, doesn't it? And rightly so, it leaves us with a sense of pain. Particularly just in these moments for Elizabeth, um, Stuart's wife, for Hannah and Samuel, um, Stuart's daughter and son, Stuart's two uh, uh, sister and brother and father. Particularly for them, it's an incredibly painful time where they're experiencing the reality of that verse. They are groaning inwardly. But not just them, of course, people here too particularly those who are very close friends with Stuart, you will be feeling this today in a really painful way. But actually, 
we don't have to necessarily have been a very close friend to Stuart to still feel this in a very painful way because we're a family and we rejoice together and we share loss together. And it hurts for all of us, even for those who don't know Stuart or perhaps never even met him today. It's still a painful day because we gather and we experience the pain of life. It's the very things that we've been looking at in the evenings as Neil's been preaching through 1 Corinthians 12 and then tonight into 13. We are one body made up of different parts and when one body, part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Isn't that a wonderful thing though? We don't grieve alone, we grieve as a family because we are one body. And in moments like this, it's many, in many ways it's the church at its best because we pull together as a family and we go through whatever may lay our head as a family. And I thank God that I have this family and I pray that you do too in a moment like this. And as Neil prayed as well earlier, today is a day not only where we grieve the loss of our dear friend in Stuart, but many people here will be grieving in other ways because it triggers memories for you. Painful for all of us, but a right reminder to all of us of the fragility of life. Life is given and life can be taken away. Perhaps you'll know the words in Isaiah chapter 40. The context is Israel has been taken off into captivity in Babylon. They're grieving. There's been physical death. There's been spiritual death. And remember the words that the living God speaks to God's people through the prophet Isaiah. He declares, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. And then offers them this amazing encouragement of hope. So as we live in a world that groans, and as we rightly, inwardly ourselves this morning groan. Let us consider too some wonderful words of Christian hope that help us. I was reminded this morning of that wonderful verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 that says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Interesting verse. It doesn't say, it doesn't negate the words we do not grieve. It doesn't say you're a Christian, don't grieve. It says we do grieve, and rightly so. In some ways as a Christian, We should grieve death more because we recognize life is not just life. It's a gift given by God. But the verse tells us we do not grieve as those who have no hope. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, if you're not a Christian and you're not following Christ, know that the verses we're going to look at this morning can offer you incredible hope, hope that you will not find anywhere else in this world. And it's moments like this where this sort of hope really matters. Uh, I've quoted this before, but Martin Luther, the great um, German monk who became a, a pastor, great reformer who has been hugely influential in the Christian world, particularly in the West. He famously once talked about wanting a faith that has legs and can run around. And what he meant by that wonderful expression, though I'm taking it slightly out of context here, in, in its wider context, he's saying, faith is not something that you learn at a theological college or something that's written on a doctrinal basis, or a statement of faith, or in a church handbook, as important as these things are. Faith is something that is robust, that you lean upon in good times and in bad. And it's in moments like today where I thank God that the faith we have as Christians is a faith that has legs and runs about. It's a faith that's robust. It's a faith that actually gives us hope. And an answer to our greatest enemy, which is death. And our hope comes through the one in whom we trust. It doesn't come through our own strength. You're probably not feeling that strong right now. I'm definitely not. But our strength doesn't come from ourselves. It comes through the one in whom we place our trust. 
So as you look at Romans chapter 8, and then we're going to look at, briefly at John chapter 11 later, see these amazing words of hope that we see, just a few different verses. Have a look, if you would please, back at chapter 8 verse 16. Here's a wonderful truth. If you've trusted in Christ, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, do you know this truth, that you are a child of God? We read there, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Not kind of pawns on some chessboard, some divine cosmic chessboard that God kind of engages with, but without any sense of intimacy. Not like a child that has no parents or a child that's just allowed to run, ride and do whatever they like and the parents don't care. This is talking about a relationship with the living God where he cares as a loving mother or a loving father cares for their son or their daughter. Isn't it wonderful? You read in the verse before, you have received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. No religion in the world No religion in the world says you can speak to the God who created everything and call him Father. That's what makes the Christian faith utterly different. And what you see just in this verse here is you see both the greatness of God but also the closeness of God. And that's something amazing to hang on to on a day like today. Think of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. It's the closeness, our Father. I can call the creator of the universe Daddy who art in heaven, but he's king, he's victorious, he's Lord. And as Christians, we believe in a God who draws close, particularly in days like today, but also a God who's infinite. And we draw strength from that great strength. So be encouraged this morning to know that we are God's children. And our dear brother Stuart is one of God's children. And death does not snatch that truth from him or from us. Extraordinary. He will always be one of God's sons. And we will always be one of God's sons and one of God's daughters. Amazing truth. And yet, even though this is true, we're God's children. Do you see back in verse 23, just skim down to it, we're not yet home. Do you see that verse? There's a a realness to this passage. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. Why? As we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body. We eagerly wait for our adoption. In a sense, it's a little bit like when a child goes up for adoption and the paperwork is signed in the office and that son or that daughter becomes part of a new family. And yet, in that little analogy, the son or the daughter hasn't yet come back into their home. The paperwork's done, but they're not yet in their home. In a similar kind of way, it's like that with us as Christians. We have been adopted We can be called sons and daughters because Christ died for us. And yet we're not yet home. And so as we wait as God's children, we have to wait eagerly. And that means still living in this world that groans and living with ourselves that groan inwardly. We're God's children, but we're not yet home. Notice too, verse 17, we are heirs. Isn't this the most extraordinary verse? Now, if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It's speaking of this wonderful truth that one day when Jesus returns to this earth to take all of us who have trusted in him, to be with him in glory, we won't just be in heaven with God, but astonishingly we will rule in heaven with our saviour Jesus. 
It's crazy, isn't it? We will rule in heaven with our Savior Jesus. We are heirs. What an incredible truth. And yet, the flip side of that, look at verse 25. Again, though it's true that we are already heirs, we're not yet ruling with him. Why? Because verse 25 tells us we need to wait patiently. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I love those words in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. Wonderful words. Not faith like blindfolding us and jumping off a cliff, hoping there might be a soft mat at the bottom. Faith is about having certainty and being sure. Because faith is not about the strength of how much of it we have. Faith is all about the one in whom we place our trust. Hence our hope comes through the one in whom we trust. And so, as we live in this world that is groaning, and as we inwardly groan, as we know on the one hand that we are children of the living God and we are heirs, but yet as we wait for his return, we wait for that adoption. This passage also wonderfully tells us that God in his goodness and his kindness, and we need things like this, particularly on a day like today, gives us some incredible gifts. Just notice three gifts that we have in this passage that God gives us. The first gift is that God gives us his spirit. Do you see there in verse 11? And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Here's something that I can't get my head around, but I believe is really, really true. Stuart is more alive now than he's ever been. How can you say that in death? More alive than I've ever been? You can say that because Stuart knew God and Stuart has within him the spirit of God. What an amazing gift to know that in our grief and in our pain and in our loss, in our groaning, we have given this gift of God's spirit and he is the life giver. The one who gives life through death. But not only the Spirit of God, the great life giver. Do you see that the Spirit of God is also the great prayer? Verse 26. That if we often think of it like the Spirit of God like this. We can, we can speak of the Spirit of God in lots of ways and rightly so. For his work is infinite. But here we get a little picture of one of the roles of the Spirit of God is to be the greatest prayer warrior. The universe has ever known. And you see it here in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us, for us, with groans that words cannot express. When you are grieving, sometimes it can be really hard to pray. Sometimes you just don't know what to pray and actually your prayers are your tears because verbalizing words of how you're feeling just don't come but your tears do come. But wonderfully in that moment of fragility and weakness which we'll all feel at different times isn't it incredible to know that one of the greatest gifts God gives us is his spirit who's the greatest prayer warrior the world has ever known and he's constantly praying on our behalf. So let's take comfort in that wonderful gift that God has given us in his spirit his very self to live within us in a time of loss. So that's one gift, his spirit. Notice the other gift is 
his promise. This is a wonderful verse, but it can be confusing. Verse 28. It's a really difficult verse to read and to believe on a day like today. But let me read it anyway, because it's true. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And you stare death in the face of a loved one. And of course, the obvious question is, how is this good? How is grief good? How is loss good? And yet we get a clue in the very next verse of the good that Paul is talking about here. Because the good is not our happiness. The good is us growing to become more like Christ. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The wonderful promise of the living God is his number one aim for all of our lives is to make us more like Christ. And Stuart now in glory is like Christ. One day to be given a resurrection body that will be perfect, completely free. The kind of picture that we've had in Revelation 21 and 22 as well as he finished off the Revelation series the last couple of weeks. A perfect body once again. But spiritually speaking too, we're being conformed into the image of Jesus. And we get conformed into his image, we become more Christ-like both through our joys in life but also through our sorrows. And this church together as a family we become more Christ-like as we carry the burdens and grief of each other. And that is the good that Paul is speaking of here. In all things, good or bad, happy or deeply painful, God is working for good. To make us more like Jesus, who is perfect. That's an astonishing gift that God would choose to work out in us. He gives us his spirit. He gives us this wonderful promise. And then notice thirdly, he gives us his love. What then shall we say, verse 31, in response to this if God is for us who can be against us he who didn't spare his only son but gave him up for us all how will he not also among among with uh, along with him graciously give us all things him who did not spare his own son for God so loved the world that he gave The living God of the Bible, not the false gods of other religions. The living God of the Bible is not a God who says, do this for me. It's a God who says, I've given this to you. What God gives, the living God gives. And he gives us his love. If you just read a bit further down, those wonderful words that we often read, but perhaps today can be extra special. Verse 37, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then Paul writes, for I am convinced that, and we'll just take one word today, death. I am convinced that death, end of verse 39, will not be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Death will not be able to separate us from the love of God. Why? Because God gave his one and only son who was separated from his heavenly father in that moment on the cross. So that you and I in death do not have to be separated from him. That's the love that God has for us. It's the love that God had for Stuart and has for Stuart. Which is why in this moment of loss, Stuart is not lost from the love of God, but instead enveloped in the love in arms of God. What a wonderful truth. 
So we live in a world that groans. We inwardly are groaning. But we have Christian hope. We're God's children, but we're not yet home. We're heirs, but we have to wait patiently. And while we wait, he gives us the gift of his spirit. He gives us the gift of his promises to cling to. And he gives us the gift of his love. I wonder if you could just flick back in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're on page 1077, 1077 if you're in the blue church Bibles. Let me read from the beginning. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Then do you notice in verse 4, notice the words that Jesus speaks. Then he heard this and Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Utter confidence from this man, utter confidence. This sickness will not end in death. And yet there's a puzzle because you read on in, in, Luke, in John chapter 11. Look at verse 14. Jesus speaks plainly to the people who are there and he says this, Lazarus is dead. How do you reconcile that? This sickness will not end in death. And then you read this stark comment from Jesus. It almost seems soulless. Lazarus is dead. Well, how will this sickness not end in death? If he's dead, well, look at the wonderful truth. Verse 25, that wonderful declaration that we've already prayed through earlier in the service. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. They are astonishing words. He will live even though he dies. Nothing lives that dies. Nothing. Except for you and me who have the spirit of God that carries us through death to the other side. And it's for this reason, if you go back to verse 11, we now understand what on earth Jesus meant when he said this. After he said this to them, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. He hadn't fallen asleep. He had died. But to Jesus, death is like sleep. So Jesus is able to say of this man who later he declares defiantly he is dead. Just before he's able to say he's just sleeping. Because to the author of life, he can bring us from death to life. Just as we can be roused by an alarm that wakes up in the morning or the sun that rises. Just like that. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? As the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15. This sickness will not end in death. And yet as we reflect on a dear brother who has died. And as Jesus stares death in the face with his great friend Lazarus. Notice that even though we believe these wonderful truths. We believe this truth. I am the resurrection and the life. Notice that death still hurts. It really hurts. Come forward to verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then you get those wonderful words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept because in his humanity, 
He felt and experienced the pain that any of us would feel in our humanity when we experience loss. And as we live in a world that groans and as we inwardly groan, loss hurts. That's why we cry. That's why Jesus wept here. Then the Jew said, see how he loved him. A deep, deep love. You see, just because we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life doesn't mean that death is not painful. It hurts. And also, just because we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, it doesn't mean we don't have questions. Notice too, a little further on, verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's an obvious question to ask at death, isn't it? Of the sovereign God of the universe who can do anything, who can just wake people up from death like this. Of course we're going to ask questions. Why? Why are some people healed and some people not? Why did Stuart die and leave a grieving wife and grieving children? Why? And it's right to ask those questions. Because that's our humanity coming out. And yet look at the wonderful hope that is to come. John chapter 11 from verse 41. So they come to the grave of Lazarus. They take away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have always heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So here's one of the great signs that you see in the book of John's gospel. The signs that point us to who Jesus is. Not just a man, but God. The greatest sign. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Here, Jesus is speaking to death. And he shouts at death, as it were. And he says, Lazarus, come out. Wake up. And then we read, the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. The dead man came out. The dead man came alive. Why? Because the giver of life, the creator of all life, spoke. And it woke up this man from death. And we can have utter confidence that in that moment of death, as Stuart said goodbye to loved ones and said goodbye to this world, in that very moment, woken up to be with the Lord in spirit and heaven for eternity. What a glorious truth. And there's no religion or philosophy in the world that can give you that. Not one. And so as we continue through today, I want to encourage you to do three things with your tears. Can I encourage you to plant your tears in God's grace? Pray honest prayers. Tell God how you're feeling. Because if you don't pray honest prayers, he knows what you're feeling. Plant your tears in the grace of God. And know that God draws close to us in this time of grief. What a wonderful thing. He's not just the sovereign God who has might and power. But he's our father, Abba, who we can call Daddy. Plant your tears in the grace of God that you might know and we together might know the grace of God today. Secondly, can I encourage you to plant your tears at the foot of the cross? Isn't it wonderful to know that you and I are never alone in our grief? And that's all because in that moment on the cross, the Lord Jesus was alone in his grief. When he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That separation happened. Why? So that that separation doesn't have to happen for us. 
And as we plant our tears at the foot of the cross, we're trusting that God, in the person of his son Jesus, is journeying with us in our grief. We're never alone in suffering. And finally, can I encourage you to plant your tears in the assurance of glory? It's where we started, isn't it? We're children. We belong to him. And we're heirs who will one day reign with him. Plant your tears in God's grace. Plant your tears at the foot of the cross. And plant your tears in the assurance of glory. And then continue with your hurts. Continue with your questions because you're human. But as you do that, know that God has given us and continues to give all of us those three wonderful gifts. The gift of his spirit. The gift of his promises to cling to. And the gift of his love that we can never ever be separated from. So let's come together to pray now. And as we pray, as you feel led, please lift Stuart's family before the Lord. Please lift this church family before the Lord. And please lift your own heart before the Lord. And I'll give us some space in between praying some sentences just to pray whatever is on our heart at this time. Let's pray together. Abba, Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit who intercedes on our behalf. Abba, Father, we thank you for the promise of your word. And we believe that you can transform any situation for our good. Abba, Father, thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Amen. As we remain standing, shall we say the grace to each other? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Do take a seat. Let's pray with a close with a final prayer. Heavenly Father, in this moment we particularly lift Hannah and Samuel and Elizabeth to you and we pray that the grace of God which we've just prayed would be very real to them. Please fill them and flood them with your spirit that they would know a God-given peace today. And may we as a church family pull together and be a blessing to them and be a blessing to each other that we might give you glory through our grief. Please, Lord, carry us through the day in your love. With your hand upon us, we ask. Amen.